Welcome back to another episode of the Marketing Malarkey Podcast. Brought to you by our sponsor, Pop-Up Podcasting, located here in Ottawa, Ontario. Check them out at popuppodcasting.ca. My name is Hartley Parent. Joining me, as always, is our co-host, Kyle Turk. Is marketing a myth? Is it manipulation? Do they just want my money? Well, the simple answer is yes, definitely. However, there's also another element to this industry. Just as it is with any industry, there's always a few bad apples. But somewhere in that orchard of ideals is the ever-growing tree of integrity. Or as we like to call it, the no-bullshit tree. Confidence is key, but knowledge is power, and truth tends to stem from knowledge. There's so many out there who think they know what they're talking about, and if they're confident enough in what they're telling you, you might actually end up believing them. However, just as it applies to almost every facet of life, once that bullshit is sold, it's very hard to get a refund. Our goal here on the Marketing Malarkey Podcast is to siphon the facts through the fiction and help you determine for yourself the truth about marketing and some of the key trending topics. On today's show, we're going to be talking to our guest, Scott Whitaker. He's from Fight for the Cure, and we'll be talking about event-based marketing. Uh, but before we get there, we're going to do a little bit of a chat, talk about some stuff that we want to get off our chests. One of those things is uh, the notion of swag, or as Michael Scott calls it, stuff we all get, which could be the definition. I tried to look it up online. I didn't find a, a correct and actual specifics what the what the acronym stands for. If it stands for anything, I don't know. Yeah. Yeah, probably. Knowing Michael Scott, he probably made it up. Yeah, it's 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 true. You know, he's, yeah. he's a little stitious, not super. Yeah, so corporate uh, swag or promotions, kind of giveaways, that kind of thing. It's just been on my mind a little bit because I've been attending a lot of golf tournaments, which is great, great part of my job. Uh, and at the golf tournaments, you always get swag bags or corporate gear, or there's people on every hole that have sponsored it and are giving out promo items. And a lot of it just gets chucked in the garbage. A lot of it's junk. It just seems like such a waste of money that people are throwing in and they think it's cool to give away uh, it's, it's the most random of lanyards. things. Yeah, lanyards. lanyards. And pens. <laughs> yeah. They'll never go out of style. <laughs> yeah, even pens on a golf course. I don't think they ever make it quite back to the office. No. Um, except for this one here, actually. Ooh. I was at the Canopy Growth Tournament, and I have a tweed pen. And it actually, if you push the end of it, it lights up the logo. Oh. You know, some people go full flashlight, which is completely useless yeah. on a pen, obviously. Um, but the fact that it lights up the logo here, I thought it was pretty cool. It has a nice stylus on it. I peeled this pen back with me, but it's probably because I'm a marketing guy and I probably want to replicate it at some point uh, for a company that I'm working for. Um, But a lot of the swag, the corporate giveaways, like I said, there's so much money lost. I think people lose sight of why they're doing swag. You know, it's supposed to make to, you know, to inspire, to motivate, to showcase how, you know, innovative your brand is and the different things that you can do. When everybody's doing the same pen the same lanyard like it's not inspiring so it you know nobody's going to want to keep that uh harley what are your thoughts um well i was actually as as you were talking i was thinking all of the companies that supply all this this swag you know it's usually just it's very low cost product um not very interesting there's nothing authentic about any of it it's the same stuff you get with every single company it's either like a tote bag or a t-shirt or a pen or a lanyard or you know some other useless item that you don't really need and it doesn't support anything it just you know it's like doesn't say that you're any different from any other brand it's just like we have a bunch of junk that we want to give to you so you can like go to the beach and show off our brand like i i don't know what the what the end game idea is there other than just having swag for the sake of having swag 
Um, however, I was thinking about a girl that I interviewed a few, couple years ago, uh, Susan Richards, and she works for a company. She owns a company called Number Crunch, but there was another brand. In, was it Giveopoly? Yes, Giveopoly. And then the idea of having locally sourced products for like a giveaway bag or something, you find, uh, you know, I mean, whether it's here in Ottawa or another city, and you find local um, local cool little gifts, and then you can send that out to, you know, potential customers or clients or whatever it is, or partners. And, and that kind of shows that you, you've got some authenticity to your, to what you're trying to push out there and you're promoting another brand that is local. You know, I thought that was a really good idea. Yeah. When I, when I was at Welch, we actually used Giveopoly. Uh, and what we did was we had beer koozies made, which tons of people make beer koozies, right? Yep. Um, but we, Got uh, through Giveopoly a set of six pack of beers, uh, and it was in a custom crate that you with a chalkboard on it. Nice. So you could write, you know, from Welch LLP or enjoy the drinks, congrats, whatever it is on the chalkboard. Then we put the koozies on the beer that we sent, and then it was more of a the koozies were there's there's still swag, but it's more of part of a an overall experience yeah. of somebody enjoying the beers that you gave away. Exactly. Um, so I think when you can. I, I think swag is definitely very, uh, it can be very useful if done properly. And if, if it's done for an intention or there's a strategy behind it, yeah. if P, some companies just chuck out a bunch of swag and it's, it's just trash, right? Other companies, if you make it for a purpose, I think it can serve a, a greater purpose than just a, being a, a lame t-shirt. Definitely. Definitely. I've worked for many companies that just have copious amounts of you know boxes and boxes of t-shirts that they just give away to everybody and there's nothing unique about them radio stations are terrible for it liquor companies i find are the craziest with that like i've ever i've I've always wondered the psychology if somebody's at the liquor store and they think to themselves like oh i have a shirt from jim beam i'm gonna go buy some yeah does that ever happen (laughs) like is it really worth the investment I, i i don't know like i just don't know the psychology behind it it's true and even like you've a lot of companies even some like startups like they're their target demographic is such like a niche market. Yeah. yeah I, I had a woman once that I used to work with a uh, very nice lady. Um, and she said she, she wanted new t-shirts made just with a big logo on the front because when she walks her dog, she walks by a lot of people and she thought it would be good branding. And in her mind, I thought it was great, great idea. Thanks for coming up with that. In reality though, if, if that is the case, nobody walking by is really going <laughs> to care about the brand on her t-shirt. Right. Yeah. Um, so some people who don't understand marketing, and this isn't a knock against her. She's very nice and definitely, you know, a great idea. Um, but, you know, if you look at the impact that that will have, it's one small community, one small route that she's walking. Uh, and for an investment of, I guess it's probably not a ton of, but minimum orders too, right? You're spending a few hundred bucks so she could walk around with a T-shirt with her neighbors isn't probably going to have a huge impact because they probably already know where she works. Yeah. No. And I mean, you're, you're just one small uh, message in a sea of how, however many like billboards and, and, you know, digital ads and everything you see every day, like the odds of somebody retaining that one brand is so minuscule. Yeah. What I love when, what companies do is some companies make the shirts, they'll design them with like a sweet graphic in a vintage way. And it just looks like a really nice graphic tee maybe. And maybe the logo somewhere incorporated into it without being the focal point some sort of design that has to do with their brand. And those shirts, I love. I think, you know, they make a great impact because you're getting people to wear your shirts. Uh, it's not all about branding. It's about putting on the experience of your brand, right? 
Uh, so when people can make something that people actually want to wear, I think it is it can be very effective. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think it's just all about looking at the strategy as to why you're doing something and then really thinking about how will that have an impact on somebody. Definitely. Definitely. The craziest one recently was the, the football player, Odell Beckham Jr., oh, where he amazing, wore the watch actually. during yeah. the game. The, the watch He wore a $180,000 watch during the game. Richard... Malay or something like uh, that. I don't, I'm not fancy I mean, enough to no, know, me but neither. I uh, thought that was amazing. While he's playing, who, who, yeah. yeah, holy. He wore the watch during the game. Jeez. Everyone's talking about this watch. Yeah. Whoever at that company was like, "Let me, let's maybe throw a watch on Odell Beckham Jr. and see the world erupt about that watch while he's playing." Yeah, and everyone's been talking about Did it. Did he get fined for it? Yeah, but who cares? Did, do you know how much you got fined? No, no, but their watches are like hundred eighty thousand dollars. I'm sure. Give yeah. them the watch and hundred k to cover the fines and. It was worth it in return. Oh, man. Yeah, because everybody everybody was talking about that online, and it was his picture was flying around everywhere. It's everywhere. a nice watch. Like, if board, I had the money, yeah. I'd pick one up. Yeah, 180000 yeah. yeah. I don't have the money, but no. if I did. <laughs> but what a genius marketing idea that yeah. is. And, like, it kind of speaks to the watch, right? Like, yep. Odell Beckham Jr. can basically be in a car wreck, which is an NFL football game, and our watch will survive that. Like, that's genius to me. Yeah, yeah no, that's true. That's good. Of that's all insane. sports. That you yeah. Could, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, you know, I, I, I love football players for some of their fun antics that they do. I, I used to love Terrell Owens. Yeah, the best. Uh, he's like, so, like pulling a Sharpie out of his uh, gear and then signing the ball and tossing after a the, the touchdown. Best. That, that guy was amazing too. Was he the one who stashed the football, uh, the phone in the goal pole too? Uh, I don't know if that was him, but I do remember <laughs> that too. He took yeah. a phone call yeah. when he scored a touchdown. It's the best, man. That's uh, the best. Uh, it's good. It's great. Definitely. <laughs> definitely. Um, do you want to talk a little bit about video? I don't like, I was just going to bring it up just because it just seems so it, it's, I'm bombarded daily with, and I'm sure everyone else is too, with, with social media video. And, and I mean, we don't have an expert on video on the show and we definitely will get somebody on to talk about video marketing. I just, and again, I, I don't even know if it's, if it's really video marketing or it's just maybe an, an offshoot of, of personal branding and, and people just, you know, trying to push out any random video that they can possibly think of with no thought whatsoever. Kind of like me in today's podcast. Like I don't really have any notes or any prepared material. It's all in my head. However, you know, at least I did think about, you know, what we were going to talk about and, and try and find some relatable information for, for people that will find useful. But I find some people will just, you know, turn on their camera and just start talking like, hi, my name's Hartley. I work in marketing. Um, I, I've, I've never really done this before. So I figured, you know, I'll just be really authentic and be true to myself. And I'll just put out a video of, you know, just saying hi and welcome. I love this community. And I just see that day in, day out. And I think to myself, like, why? What is the, what's the point in that? Like, Again, I, I, I sound like an old man just griping all the time on this show. I've, I've <laughs> discovered I just complain a lot, but uh, there's so many questions and no answers. Yeah, the, the videos, I don't get it too. I, I'm on the same page as you here. I think, you know, if you go back to the same thing with swag, I think if you don't have a strategy or a reason or some way to engage in important information or discussion or even just news update with somebody, then you know, going on camera, on video, on social media is just completely useless and people don't care. And the more you of that crap you're putting out there, the less you're going to get engagement when you want to say something yeah, important, right? Exactly. And when you want to have an impact with video, I think video can be used uh, very effectively to make, you know, statements or news updates or anything of importance and 
have a good impact because people do want to watch video. People don't want to watch shitty videos. Yes. And when it's just somebody ran, rambling on about their latest uh, makeup product or that kind of thing, it's, you know, it's, I, I, I dislike it. They may, you know, maybe they are getting great engagement from an audience that maybe isn't us and not where they're not targeting us. So maybe what they're doing is working for them. It's true. Um, but uh, I, I, I think it's pretty brutal too. I think people, and not to sound like an old man here myself, but people think they're a lot more interesting than they actually are. So they see these top internet marketers, YouTube vloggers who are making tons of money and fame and followers. They don't realize that's the 1% of the yeah. millions of people doing that. And to think if you put out a daily blog, you're going to turn into like Logan Paul. You're, you're just not, yeah. um, unless you live a similar lifestyle to him. So it's an investment. I just don't, I, I think people think people are going to care about what they actually have to say. And there's so much content out there now that unless you're actually interesting, it's going to be very tough to get any sort of following with that. Everyone's a celebrity these days. Yeah. Everybody wants to have that celebrity and, image. And also because it kind of seems attainable now. Yeah. Like, yeah. You yeah. know, two years ago, who was a Lil Nas X, but he puts out a, a song and now he's got the biggest song in the history of, of Billboard and he came off SoundCloud. So, yeah. you know, everyone thinks it's attainable, but it's actually really impossible to get there. Definitely. And next year, I mean, no one will, I mean, everyone will still remember who he is, but yeah. there will be a new Lil Nas X. There'll be a new, you know. There's, there's, you know, the, that 15 seconds of fame, that spotlight. I think that window's, you know, growing smaller by the day. Yeah. And kudos to them. Like you, you have to actually do it to, to, to do it. Like how many people say, oh, I could be famous if I did this. Well, yeah. you didn't do it. So you have a 0% chance. At least they're putting their foot in the door. No, yeah, no, totally. But it's impossible. It's nearly impossible to <laughs> yeah. get there. Right. So, I mean, good on them, but good luck. On that note, the algorithm for LinkedIn has, has shifted drastically for those who may not be perceived as influencers per se, um, and their content is getting a lot more traction and visibility to their to their networks. I've noticed the exact opposite, and I cannot figure out why. And it's you know, again, probably not an answer I'm, we're going to be able to establish here today. It's just another thing I want to complain about. So yeah. <laughs> I've been putting out, and I don't, I haven't put out as much content as I as I used to. Um, but I find when I do put it out, I've got an option now, is I can put it to everybody. Or I can put it to my connections. And I tried the other day. I just released. Actually, it was just a, another um, promo for the last episode. The last two episodes ago we did with Greg Campbell there for the real estate marketing. Yeah, keeping it real estate. Check it out if you haven't already. And uh, I was just trying to, you know, push it out again. Trying to get some more, some more traction for it. And I got 20 views. And I've got over 2,000 connections. That I just, I cannot figure out how that doesn't. Did you share the post? I shared it. Yeah, that's, so LinkedIn hates shares. I've come to notice that. Anytime I post something that's been shared, okay. it gets maybe one, two likes, even 20, 30 views. Yeah. And if I post that exact same content without sharing it, and I just create it from my own post, then I'll get the, you know, thousands of views that I normally normally get. Okay. And I don't know why LinkedIn hates shares. It might be because it's such a corporate platform that when a company puts something out and then you have 10, 12 yeah. employees all sharing it, they're like, okay, easy. That's fair. Easy on that. So it may also have something to do with being an admin on the page and then you're personally sharing the, the marketing malarkey post. Mm-hmm. But yeah, shares on LinkedIn don't work from what I've gathered. Okay. Um, so that's probably one good one reason. 
I've, yeah, personally, like we were talking earlier, I've noticed kind of a bit of the opposite. I have been getting a lot more traction on my posts on LinkedIn. And you've been creating them like though. Yeah, yeah creating okay. them. So I never share anymore. And if I do, it's just because it's a good content piece that I want to share. And if somebody sees it, great. And I don't care, really care if nobody looks at it once yeah. I've shared it. Yeah. Um, so I find that, yeah, sharing on LinkedIn really has little to no impact. Okay. So the idea of sharing is caring is null and void. From what I've gathered, okay. yes. And I mean, I've, I think the sample size that I've done to test it out has been good enough to know. Uh, then again, a lot of the stuff I'm sharing from pages, I'm also an admin on the page. So okay. that may also be a detractor on LinkedIn, but couldn't no, tell you 100%. Nobody knows the algorithms. They, no, no, everybody can give you the best practices and how to you know, show up better on the feeds. Uh, personally, I think if you want more traction on your posts, you got to you really look at the data and look back on all the posts that you've done, see which ones have performed well and use similar type of messaging, imagery uh, and that kind of thing to really show up in, you know, on the news feed to, and have an impact on the platform. I take a very analytical view to a lot of the posts and a lot of the times there's a strategy behind it and a, a plan, you know, instead of just doing a one off. Yep. The more consistent you are, the more engaged you are with the platform, I think it gives back to you. Um, I don't know because I don't know the algorithms, but... <laughs> That's probably yeah. more accurate than, you know, any of the bullshit that I was going to say, but yeah, <laughs> for sure. No, it's, and, and and like you say, I mean, consistently, you know, like basically A-B testing it for your own benefit. It's, you know, just like anything in, anything in the marketing industry, you have to constantly test. So here I am just, you know, posting at will randomly, you know, a couple times a month or whatever it is. And then I complain that it doesn't get any traction. Well, just like anything in life, nothing's just going to happen. So for sure. <laughs> Didn't become the overnight celebrity. Damn it. Twista. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> what a fantastic album that was. Oh, fantastic. No, you know the whole album? The Twista album? Yeah. Yeah. Kamikaze it was called. Yeah. Um, maybe this is dating ourselves because any of the young folks probably don't have a clue what we're talking <laughs> no. about. to sing along to. Yeah. Um, but yeah, that guy can rap really fast. Yeah. yeah. You big fan, Scotty? <laughs> no, I'm not, no. no? <laughs> Twista. I had a Twista, like a couple of good songs, but you know, you, you can't listen to that stuff for too long. Oh, that, should... I, I killed that album. I probably crushed it for five years. No. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> the it was one of my favorites. I know. <laughs> he should come back with uh, like Twisted Ice Tea. Be like Twista Ice Tea. With oh. Ice T, though? Yeah, like yeah. the Twisted Ice T, you know? Maybe that could be like a... But with the rapper Ice T, like a duo? Oh, oh. I didn't even think about that. That's Step ahead. Yeah, nice. nice. Good thing I'm yeah. here. Good yeah. thing I'm here. Hopefully Twista and Ice T both listen to this podcast. <laughs> exactly. I think they do, right? Pick yeah. up on that. And yeah. the marketing folks from Twisted Ice T. Yeah. yeah. They should also yeah. be... Make new, new swag idea. Yeah, yeah. there we go. <laughs> All right. So, so I guess we can give our, uh, our guest uh, a formal introduction. Uh, so again, it's Scott Whitaker. He's joining us from Fight for the Cure. Uh, I'll let Scott kind of explain exactly what Fight for the Cure is, what you guys do. Uh, you've got a big event coming up soon with with our co-host here, Kyle Turk. And uh, yeah, just take her away. Sure. Yeah. So Fight for the Cure started as just a regular charity boxing event with amateur boxers. Uh, and we had the idea in our first year to put uh, Terry Marcotte from CTV, the sports anchor, uh, we encouraged him to get involved and we found the chair of the Otter Regional Cancer Foundation. They were the same age, same weight. So we said, why not in the main event have these two go at it in a charity style match? Yeah. And, uh, you know, you, you can check out as many amateur boxes as you want, but people want to see the the two older guys go at it. Ten years later, here we are. We're, we're an all white collar charity boxing event. So 
we take local business leaders, media personalities, whoever, whoever has a great following. We try to keep it within the business sector. Uh, we train them for eight months now and they do real sanctioned amateur style boxing matches at the casino uh, at the Hilton Lack for me. So yeah, it's coming up on October 19th. Wicked, wicked. Yeah. And then all the, all the, all the money that we raise goes to the Auto Regional Cancer Foundation, which is a cause that was close to our heart because our grand, my, my brother and I, our grandfather was battling cancer at the time when we started it and he beat it thankfully. But uh, yeah, so we, we, get, we donate all the money now to the Auto Regional Cancer Foundation. Nice. Yeah. Nice. So it's definitely. Yeah. And you raise a ton of money. What's your goal this year? The last Scott? three years we've done really well. So in 2017, we raised 131,000, which was, which was really good. Last year we did 265 and this is net. This is the donation we're giving to the, to the foundation. Um, and this year we're hoping to break 400,000. So it's been pretty crazy growth over the last three years. Wow. Mm-hmm. And a ton of money to the a great cause in the Ottawa Regional Cancer Foundation. That's right. I'm boxing in the event this year. Just no big deal, boys. Um, <laughs> But you, you mentioned uh, you try to find people with a following, which I guess is basically you try to look for influencers and use kind of influencer marketing tactics to sort of engage the community and raise more money. When you find the people to box, you're using people to promote the event and to raise funds because each boxer raises their own money on their own. And then that also adds to your total. So I guess what's your, I guess what's your strategy when it comes to influencer marketing as part of your event marketing? Yeah. I mean, the key is to find people with, with big followings or big networks in the city, right? So the key is to find heads of companies, CEOs, um, or people who are with a marketing background, such as yourself or anyone with sort of a name like Stefan keys from CTV did it. So that's just great for our event. That gives us a lot of exposure. We had an ex NFL red black Donnie Ruiz do it. So people recognize the name for, for a second, Matt Burnaby was on board to do it. So we always look for somebody whose name's going to get our event out there. Uh, and then you just look for people who, who are able to raise funds. We ask straight up, are you able to raise money for this event? And if they say, you know, we might be able to raise a couple thousand dollars. Well, you know, maybe this is the event isn't for you, but some people raise upwards of 50 to a hundred thousand. Right. So that, that's what we look for. And then we create content for them. So, uh, extension marketing this year has been on board creating content for us. So we're doing monthly content dumps on our competitors to say, here's, here's a piece about why you're doing this, blast it out to your market or to, to your network and make sure they know, you know, it's not just you're doing a boxing match for fun. You're actually doing it for, for a different reason. Yeah. And your, your content marketing plan that you touched on, uh, it's, you know, it's a very good strategy. It's very consistent. It's not just one video on the boxer saying, why are you doing this? You know, how's the training going videos? There's uh, everything from your family involvement. How's it going with your family and the whole journey? Uh, and I think that type of content and, and consistency of the boxers pushing it out over an eight month period gives you you know really good marketing for the event. Uh, it creates a buzz for basically eight months straight because you've got 12 boxers promoting it. Um, was that always an intention of yours or did it kind of evolve into that? No, it evolved into it. I mean, wh- when I took over in 2017, my thought process was how do I make somebody care about two guys who've never boxed before, men and women, sorry, who, who've never boxed before. Uh, how, how does anybody care about them doing this? And, you know, everyone has that cancer story, right? Like everyone's been affected by some way and we just weren't getting that out before. I was hearing about it, training the people and in the gym. And I was thinking like, people need to know why people are actually doing this. And then you talk to their loved ones and, you know, it's, it's tough on everybody involved. It's an eight month commitment away from your friends and family. And that was the story I wanted to tell. So, you know, 
boxing is great. Yeah. You're doing a boxing match that takes a lot of nerve. It takes a lot of, a lot of training, a lot of preparation. Cool. But there's a bigger story behind that. And that's the story that I went to tell. Uh, and I think that's what really kind of took off with the fundraising, the bigger picture, the bigger picture. And, and as corny as it sounds like, like it takes a team to get somebody to it. Right. Like Definitely. Turk, I'm sure your wife's had to pick up some duties with the kids when you're off training. It, it, it's, it's not just the person boxing that's in fact, that's affected. It's kind of their inner circle yep. as well. Um, so this year we've done a good job at showcasing like, you know, this is really hard to do and yep. really hard to get there and takes a lot of nerve. And that's the story we tell. Boxing's great. These are two people who have never boxed before. We're not selling a fight. We're selling a journey to that fight. And I know it sounds so corny, but that's what it is. It, no, like, that's the yeah. most important part to me anyways. The human connection. You got to showcase that. Big time. It means everything. And I say to them a lot, like, you know, when you're asking people for donations, you're not running a 5K, which, you know, most people could probably do tomorrow. You're training eight months for a fist fight in front of a thousand strangers. People are going to respect that, but we're going to show why it's so hard what you're doing. The event itself at uh, Lac Lamy there at the casino, I mean, that that speaks volume about, you know, the the sheer authenticity and, and, and credibility behind what you do. I mean, most big boxing matches are going to be at, you know, Vegas and, and a casino or something like that. How how do you get that event? Right. So it, it's, it's jumped around a little bit. It started its first year was at the Westin right here downtown. And then it went over to the Hampton uh, kind of on the in the St. Laurent area there, like right by the baseball diamond. OK. And then. Uh, over the last few years, we've done it at the casino. And yeah, you're right. Like boxing and casinos just fits, right? It gives us that Vegas feel. It's a really formal event. So you, you want to hold it somewhere where people like feel like they should be getting dressed up to go into this event. Yeah. Uh, and yeah, you hit the nail right on the head. It's it, it's a Vegas style event. So why not have it at the, at the Hilton? They're phenomenal there too. Like the, after we did it there for, with the, that team the first year, we were like, all right, well, we kind of have to keep it here. Yeah. And we've outgrown the room. Like we're totally sold out six months in advance and people always ask, why don't you move it to a bigger venue? That's its home. Like it, it yeah. should be there. It yeah. just makes sense. Yeah. That's wicked. Mm -hmm. You should just tell them to build a bigger room. Well, that's yeah. it. Yeah. We're waiting. <laughs> on it. Yeah. A few more of these, they might be able to bring in lots of customers. Yeah. yeah. That's yeah. it. Yeah. yeah. Um, but yeah, they're great there. So I don't see myself moving it anytime soon. Yeah. And the, the event itself, I first attended in 2017 because I was working at Welch and my boss, Michael Birch, uh, he was fighting in it mm -hmm. as a 62 year old or something like crazy 62. And I think, you know, what I loved about the event and wanted to, you know, get involved about was the event itself. It's not just a, a gala with a dinner and maybe some boxing going on, you know, it's, the whole event I found to be, you know, an inspiring story of a community rallying together to, you know, support each other and support families that are affected by cancer. And I think, you know, the entire production itself is why everybody wants to be there. It's such a hot ticket. It sells out right away, as you said. And I think you've done a really good job storytelling in making the event a true inspiring experience. And I think, um, you know, compared to some of the other charity fundraisers I go to, uh, I think the way you've marketed it and created the customer experience, it's, you know, it's above a lot of the events that, that I'll attend throughout the year. So, I mean, kudos to you. Um, but what Scott hasn't told you, Hartley, as well is that, uh, this is less marketing, but Scott is in the gym with us twice a week, um, for a few hours training all of us so that we, we don't get hurt. Well, I was going to so. ask, it's, <laughs> he, it, I can, you, you were talking about this earlier and, and, and it seems that, so Scott, you're a trainer 
by trade or is like kind of what, what's, what's your background? So I boxed, I boxed, uh, I started boxing when I was 17. Okay. Um, competed, you know, I competed sporadically, I guess I had 11 amateur bouts. Um, and my brother and I opened a boxing gym when I was just turned 20. Cool. Boxing's always been the, the family passion. We love it. We, I, I, my earliest memory is going to a boxing event with my dad. So it's always been something that's been very close to us. We just opened the, the opened the gym is called final round boxing. So my background, I've been boxing forever. And then we ran the gym. Um, I, I backed out a little bit, but boxing's always been my passion. And this was an opportunity for me to combine my passion, which, which is boxing, with philanthropy, which, you know, was, yep. it was incredible. The Fight for the Cure thing sprung up three years ago. In 2017, I took it on full time, uh, but it's been around for a while. Okay. Mm-hmm. But yeah, sorry, I, I don't know if I answered that properly. No, is that no, kind totally, of what you're yeah. looking for? Yeah, yeah. I just I want to kind of get like your kind of background. I mean, that as as an athlete, that makes sense. Yeah, yeah. It, it's the natural transition to yeah. washed up fighter to coach. So I, I took that <laughs> to the data commentator. Right? Yeah, that's so, right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that's next. But yeah, so and I I still work uh, like I, I work with our amateur guys a little bit too, and I work all the pro corners with uh, Eric Blanchet. So you know, it's just something I'll I'll probably never give up. So nice. it was nice to be able to combine it into a cause that uh, I'm passionate about. Definitely. And without giving away all your secrets, do you have any tips for people that are throwing fundraising events or that want to create an event as to wh- how, where to start? Like, how you know, you said you started and you went through, but like, what was your process? What, you know, you've learned a lot over the 10 years yeah. um, from Fight for the Cure. What would you, uh, what kind of tips would you give somebody? Well, I think with any success story, there's always a little bit of luck that goes into it. And Fight for the Cure is definitely like that. Um, like we got lucky with the Heart and Crown Irish pubs. They came in as our headline sponsor in year two and they put up pretty big money for that. Like that doesn't happen very often. A second year event, to be honest, the first year was complete failure, but they saw something in the event and they've, they've floated it ever since. So we got lucky there to, to find a headline sponsor like that is, is really rare in Ottawa. And we found one and then to have Justin Trudeau call up and say, I want to do this right before he goes on his on his campaign to be prime minister that's pretty lucky too yeah but i i would say to anybody who's thinking about running an event is find a way to make people not just care about the cause because people care about causes care about the people involved with the cause because if they don't your event's not going to be successful i know you're competing this year but i'd like just to be honest the boxing matches that fight for the cure aren't good boxing matches people have been doing it for eight months right it's it's their first time ever in a ring competing telling that story and making people care that they're doing it that's bigger than the boxing match so my number one advice if somebody wanted to do a fundraising event make people care about the people involved with the cause you're doing it for it's all great to say oh we're going to give money to this person make them care about that because if they don't people won't come back so that would be my number one my number one tip and number Start small. You don't need to throw a giant event your first year because if you half-ass it, no one's going to come back. Make a really good event small and then expand from there because if you over, if you outdo yourself and it turns into a mess, no one's going to come back. Our first year, we hired a we paid a professional boxer out of Montreal, ten grand, to come be like the special guest. No one gave a shit, and we only raised like five hundred bucks that year. So it was actually kind of fight for him more than fight for the cure. You're going to make mistakes along the way and just learn from them. People don't care about celebrity guests as much as you think they do. They care more about if their if their loved ones are involved. So get people involved and get people involved that other people care about. What kind of um, other than social media and you know, obviously word of mouth? What kind of advertising do you usually do for these? Well, so for the actual event itself, I'm lucky because. We didn't put any tables out to the public this year. The demand was so high that it, we, between sponsors, alumni, current fighters, 
that was the 101 tables gone. So sales wise there, I'm pretty lucky. What, what we really do market a lot is our online campaign for the fighters. We produce uh, videos, pictures, everything. So they can blast that out on a regular basis to encourage people to donate to their fundraising pages. And this year we've been insanely successful with it. We've raised almost $240,000 just amongst the fighters, wow. which is like totally insane. Yeah. yeah. Like the, like in 2014 was the last time we did it before 2017, we raised like 40 grand. So just the people involved with it now are raising insane amounts of money. That's incredible. Mm -hmm. And you have a full team of people working with you as well? No. Uh, well, we have extension marketing, right? Um, okay. Yeah. They came in, this is their first year doing it. There's just a couple of them there, but yeah, we keep it, we keep it small. That way we can make the biggest donation possible to the foundation. That's, that's what my number one priority is anyways. Yeah. Now Scott, um, beyond the ring, you also recently got into business. Can you tell us about, uh, I guess, what else you do be besides fight for the cure? Yeah, so I uh, recently bought into a company called PSL Mechanical. We do electrical engineering HVAC work. And, you know, it's it's funny. I run a charity boxing event and somehow a mechanical company fits perfectly with everybody that attends that event. So Fight for the Cure has always been floated by commercial real estate, business develop commercial developers, residential developers. And I saw an opportunity to get involved with this company and said, my networks are going to just combine right here perfectly. And it, so far it has. So it's been great. Yeah. So right now I'm just in the office doing administrative stuff uh, and a lot on the business development side as well. And is it, uh, so you say you've already got the network, so that's the that's easiest the marketing that's the going, key. right? Yeah. 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 I think it, was it you that said, no, it was Derek Newberry was like, that's great. That's a good idea, man, because everybody involved with Fight for the Cure has to take your call. Yeah. No one's going to not <laughs> take your call. And I was like, yeah, I know it's kind of, it's kind of nice to have that. So yeah, no, it's, it's a nice little advantage and people. People really care about this event, as I'm sure you're finding out. I mean, it, it, it's perfect, man. It's just a great way to, to build your network. Nice. Wonderful. Wonderful. Turk, how do you feel about your boxing match coming up? I'm excited. Yeah? I uh, Yeah, I love... Uh, I was on another podcast, actually, uh, as a featured guest, and I was talking about it. And it, it was just kind of funny. I just... I. I've always loved fighting, although I've not been a good fighter. So I think the event itself was a great fit for me. Get me in shape. Uh, the wife helped push me into it. And I think she's excited to watch me fight. She told me today I better not embarrass her out there and be the first guy to get KO'd. Oh, no. Um, but uh, I think she's pretty excited to watch it, too. I, You know, I think uh, just the whole process. Uh, I think from start, you know, eight months ago, just launching that I'm going to be in the fight and then Everything from the launch party to um, the videos extensions done, uh, just pushing it out on social media. It's been it's been a very exciting and rewarding journey, uh, and it's the people that help support you and you know help donate and fundraise. Sometimes it's it's the people you don't even expect that are giving tons of money and that really you know want to back you on the cause and enjoy it and push it out uh, on their social networks. I think. Uh, it's it's gone really well and I'm super excited to get in the ring. I'm going in as the underdog, uh, but uh, it's the best way to do it, right? Because if you lose, it doesn't really matter. <laughs> and uh, at, at, at the end of the day, the Cancer Foundation is the true winner, anyways, uh, as you mentioned. So, and it's most likely won't be a, a great boxing match, but a good fight. Yeah, yeah. That, that that's the 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 experience we go for. Like, we, I, I want people to truly enjoy doing this. That way they'll recruit other people to do it. But um, it, it means more to me. The competitors have a great experience yeah. going through this training process because, you know, imagine it, it, the worst possible thing for the event would be like 
one of our one of our alumni saying like, yeah, you know, it's grueling. I get hurt. Uh, we get beat up, and then we get embarrassed in that ring. Like that's the total opposite yeah. that I want to happen. I want them to enjoy learning a sport that I truly, truly love. I want them. I want them to bring their network together and be humbled by the support they get from this, which I think is maybe the most rewarding thing for them. Um, I want them to get in better shape. Like I've, I've had two of them quit smoking so far during this eight month training process, which I'm like so, so proud about. Yeah. yeah. Like that's awesome. You quit smoking because of fight for the cure. And then I want them to leave that ring with their pride and their dignity and say, I did that. And I'm so happy that I did like, that's, that's more important to me than almost anything yeah. with this event. And every alumni that I've talked to says that, um, and they, they love it. And you have a hard time picking next year, I think, because I've had probably at least a dozen people tell me that they can't wait to try to do it next year. Yeah. I'm already getting emails from people I don't know being yeah. like, when are tables on sale for next year and how do I compete? Now, like, let me get through this one yeah. and then we'll start. <laughs> yeah. How do you pick who's um, going to fight? Yeah. It's, there's a few different ways. Um, we have an amazing alumni. We have almost 50 people now out there who are Fight for the Cure alumni, who, including Justin Trudeau, who really are passionate about the event. So if alumni comes to me and says, listen, I got a guy who I think would be a great competitor and raise a lot of money, I'll sit down with that person and kind of hear their story and, and why they want to do it. Yep. And then if it works, I'll go shop a match for them. So I'll go kind of ask other ask our alumni Hey, I got this guy. He's 45. He's about 200 pounds. Can we, can we maybe find somebody who'd be a good fundraiser for him? And then last year I held tryouts for the first time and 50 people showed up. Wow. Yeah. And I needed four. So, I mean, I think this year, I don't know how I'm going to do it moving forward. I haven't even thought about it. Um, cause I can't wait to get it, get this event going this year. So, uh, next year I'll probably do tryouts. And then again, it's just through alumni, through, through networks, through, through who can, who can raise a lot of money. And it's like a, it's, it's a consistent process. It's not like, you know, you just kind of start up at one month. You, I, I assume it's just like all year round kind of thing. Like the, 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 you're working right now, you're working on the event in October, Yeah. but then meanwhile, you're probably kind of, you know, getting things maybe not as, as consistently, you know, with, with all the stuff that you have to do for this event, but on the back burner, there's like, what are we going to do for next year? And, you know, like, right. It's a constant struggle to th kind of be like, how, how can I make it bigger and better next yeah. year? Um, which is getting more and more challenging, the bigger and better it gets. Um, it's a good challenge though. It's a good challenge to have. Yeah. yeah. It's, it's not like a, how do I get people to show up to this damn thing? It's how yeah. do I maximize it or optimize it? I guess would be the word I want to use. So, um, I mean, it's a challenge, but it's a good challenge to have. And at, at this point, I, I think it means, uh, and this is going to sound lame too, but like it means a lot to a lot of people. So I, I said I would do it for three years uh, and then go from there. Um, but moving forward, like I, I feel obligated to keep it going. So, We'll definitely have a 2020 probably until I can't do it anymore. I'm going to keep doing it. And how long has it been running for? You said first one was in 2008. Okay. So quite a few years now, quite a few years. We weren't consistent. Okay. We, we did it uh, every other year for a while. There was a three year break between 2014 and 2017. We took a year off after the Trudeau year cause it was just mayhem, but yeah, so it's been going for about 10 years now. Nice. Yeah. 10, 11 years. Solid. And when you say we, it's brother Matt, Whitaker, or were there others involved that, that started it? Yeah. And Eric Belanger, he's okay. the head coach at yeah. Final Round Boxing. We still train at Final Round. Yeah. Okay. They're still heavily involved. So, and they're, they're great to have in our back too, because they're going to start helping with the training next year. Wonderful. Yeah. So October 19th. Yeah. I would say, yeah. And speaking of training, you don't want to step into uh, sparring with Scott here. No. <laughs> no, he's, no, like, you guys he's impossible don't. to hit. <laughs> Although no. it, I've seen one 
one person land one uh, so far this year. That's, last week. Yeah, last week. I've got my nose exploded by, really? uh, yeah, uh, I don't know. We shouldn't say who. We kind of already did, eh? We can edit that out, though. Why? Well, oh, well, well when's this going to air? Oh, uh, I guess before the fight? Well, so he caught you with one lucky one? Does it matter? <laughs> yeah, I don't know. <laughs> I don't we think don't that's like going to tip off his competitors no, too much. Do, it's a funny thing that we try to keep the competitors kind of not in the know about each other for as long as we can. We don't want anyone to get psyched out. or Yeah, that's so, fair. Yeah, so... Yeah. Um, yes, yeah, so we train at opposite times as the person we're going to fight that's against. Yeah. So you have no, um, no so idea no of their clue. skill level? or No, okay. but no. there's been years, man, where I've had to go to people and be like, uh, I don't think you should do this. Yeah. And they'll be like, really? And I'll be like, yeah, you're going to get hurt. So we're yeah. going to cancel your fight. Really? And we're going to try to find somebody else. Yeah. Wow. And that's a tough conversation, but it's Definitely. kind of part of the gig. Yeah. yeah. It's happened almost every year. It hasn't happened this year, though. I guess it's good liability you got to sign off on before you do this. Huh? Yeah, the, f- yeah. The final round paperwork yeah. and all yeah. that. Um yeah, and like I said, like I don't want anyone to get hurt in there. That's my worst nightmare. I, I hate watching the fights. Yeah. I'm usually out in the hallway really, for most yeah. of the fights. I hate it. Stressful. I don't. Well, it's like my two friends fighting yeah. each other. Like, no, what are we gonna? Fair. What am yeah. I gonna do? Like, I'm not cheering for anybody. Yeah. I'm like, when somebody makes like a nice defensive move, that's when I celebrate. And then when someone yeah. lands a huge bomb, that's when the crowd goes nuts. I'm like, no, no, <laughs> we can't be like this. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, Scott's a true professional. I'm trying to keep it. I want to keep it as, I don't want it to be a so, so you think you're tough competition. Yeah. I want it to be like a boxing event yeah. where yeah. everyone, yeah. And you've done a great job keeping Thanks, it that buddy. way. Um, and another great thing, uh, Harley, you were talking about video marketing earlier, but Scott, video marketing for you and you guys record all the fights and create the the videos for them. Also another great way to, to have every year live on and help keep people to push it out after their fight and push it out. Is, is there, from a video standpoint and capturing the event in the atmosphere, is there anything you can give tips to any other events as to... A good, uh, you know, post-event, you know, video strategy or? Good question. I've never, I've honestly never even thought about that. We've never made a post, like a kind of a epilogue style yeah. of, uh, video before. Um, maybe we should though. Yeah. That'd be great. Definitely. Yeah. I think people be interested in that for sure. Because no joke, once that final bell rings, I go like, ah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. but you do put all the fights online. Yeah, for, we put so all the fights online. Yeah. We put, so before every fight we do... Um, we do an intro video where the, the the competitors have an opportunity to tell their story to the crowd of why they're doing it. And I think that's like the key to bringing the crowd together to support the fights. So we always put those out online too. So people can really get a feel for why somebody put themselves through like eight months of learning a sport they've never done before. A sport like boxing too, which is, you know, it's not uh it's not tennis or ping pong. It's a, a, a combat sport. Yeah. So you know, we create that that connection between the audience and the fighters. That's nice. Yeah, thanks. Everything's about a story. That's it, man. I yeah. kind of, you know what, I kind of took it from, I was like, I'm going to go the WWE route with this and do like intro videos and like our, our AVs insane. Like tell the story around yeah. the boxing as opposed to being like, oh, this is a boxing event. Come watch boxing. It's more of like, come see the stories. They are the originators of the storytelling. They, yeah. Like that's, you know, that's, that's, that's uh, what do you call it? Soap opera for, for for adults well not adults but you know so uh, for guys for the most children, part, right? yeah, exactly. yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> but even even you know at the highest level in like pro boxing or pro ufc everyone wants to see the good guy versus the bad guy yeah. we we obviously don't create that dynamic we create kind of like a you know i'm fighting for this yeah. dynamic and people really back that up and are more a little bit more generous when it comes to supporting it and the experience itself i would think is is it's unique you know i mean 
you could work your whole life and, you know, you could love, you could love every element to boxing and there's nothing to say that you're ever actually going to step into a ring with somebody, yeah. let alone at a casino level event. You know, I mean, that's, that's pretty spectacular. Yeah. One of the most surreal fight for the cure moments for me last year was, uh, we had our first ever women's bout and it was two moms for in their forties, Nice, the, the greatest ladies of all time. One's a lawyer, one's an admin, works a men at a lawyer's office. And I've been to hundreds of amateur boxing matches. I've never seen one end in a standing ovation before. Wow. And I'm standing there watching a thousand people on their feet going crazy for these two ladies in their forties, battling it out in the ring to a standing ovation in their first ever boxing match. I was like, this is the craziest thing. Nine months ago, they had never thrown a punch. And now a thousand people are giving them a standing ovation that's at a charity boxing match, it just it, like in my head, I was like, "This is the craziest thing I've ever seen in my life." Yeah, that was a fight of the night. They man, that yeah. fight was amazing. Yeah, yeah, I yeah. was one of the people standing. Everybody it definitely, was standing. they deserved it for sure. Yeah, yeah, like, such a good fight. Everyone was like, uh, when I was in the ring, like everybody in the front row was like crying, watching them. Uh, it was the craziest boxing moment wow. I've ever seen, and it was two ladies in their forties with kids. Like they brought their daughters and their kids into the ring. It was the most beautiful thing I've ever seen, That's... and I was like, the sport I love. I'm the most touched by is, yeah. is like the moment I'm yeah. most touched by is, is this. So that's, that's what we're going for. That's the goal. It's bigger than boxing. It's more of like a experience around get, yeah. even just getting there is hard. So yeah. that's what I try to bring out. And those two women have, uh, alumni have come back and helped train, uh, the women this year as well, inspiring with them. It's, it's, you've created such a great network uh, of alumni that want to keep supporting it and coming back year after year, uh, which is kudos to you and a great, uh, influencer marketing and uh, you know <laughs> building yeah. that network is fantastic yeah Ottawa's a small town too so if you can get you know the Michael Birches and the Kamal Tannises and the Walter Robinsons and the Lawrence Greenspawns on board it makes it a lot easier to draw people towards your event so we get a couple of big names and obviously the the Justin Trudeau's on board that that helps out a lot too that in 2017 when I was marketing or when I was trying to recruit fighters for the first time that was always the big the big drama like, this is the same event Justin Trudeau did and they're like, oh, okay, I'd love to do that then. Like that was the, <laughs> yeah. yeah. No, it's amazing. And, and the residual user experience you get out of it. Like, I mean, from a marketing perspective, even like just something as simple as like, uh, say digital ads, you're trying to, you're always trying to engage. You want to engage new customers, but the idea is, you know, in that sales cycle, you want to have returning users all the time. You know, that's your best audience. And it seems like that seems to be the best audience for this is everybody yeah. that's a part of it, whether it's from the boxers or anyone else in the organization that's taking part in this event, you know, they, they seem to love it, right? The alumni, like this is, that's exactly what you want. And that sounds, that sounds pretty awesome. Pretty real. Yeah. It's the most organic growth of all time because yeah. 12 new competitors every year, we try to get people from different markets that we've never tapped into before. Uh, and then all the past competitors supporting from the backside, it, it makes my life a lot easier. I get a lot of credit for it, but a lot of it is our alumni that like, that's the most valuable part of the event is the 50 men and women who support this every year. I just kind of hold it together. But giving that great customer experiences. It's the biggest key. Yeah. It's the biggest key. If the event, if we, if we didn't go all out on the storytelling and the, and the event itself, then if your product's not there, people aren't going to care. I got to ask. Um, and I know we're probably kind of pressed for time here, but do you ever think about expansion? Because you've got to probably have some inquiries about, you know, people that meet, I mean, Toronto or Montreal or, you know, other big venues that would be able to support something like this. Yeah. No, I, I would like to eventually. I've actually started making a, a kind of like a man, user's manual or a 
uh, operations, an operations guide on yeah. how to throw this together. It's something I want to do in the future. Toronto has a bunch of them. Okay. Um, they do it a lot different than we do it, but they, they still do something very similar. So that might be a little tapped out, but Montreal for sure. Um, out East for sure as yeah. well too, like Halifax. Um, you, you just need to find the right people. Yep. And that's with any company for anything. Definitely. And that's kind of the process I'm going through right now is trying to f- line up my, line up my soldiers out there. It's a good way of putting it. Yeah. For sure. So that's what that, that's the biggest key. Excellent. Well, uh, you got anything else you want to? That's it for me, I guess. I think, uh, Scott, you provided some really good tips, you know, told the story and how it's all about storytelling. And even though it's an event, uh, you know, the story is what's really going to sell it. So I think any event coordinators or people throwing events out there can definitely take a lot from what you've said. So um, that's good good with me. Yeah. No, I really really appreciate you coming in, Scott. It's been a pleasure chatting to you. Awesome. Thanks for having me. Thank you. Awesome. As we like to say of every episode, uh, the proof is in the pudding. Everything else is just bullshit. Marketing Malarkey has been brought to you by Pop-Up Podcasting. Again, uh, if you're interested in getting a uh, podcast off the ground, the folks here at Pop-Up Podcasting do make it very easy for you. They've got an in-house producer that will come meet you on site, set up everything. They are pros. You really just got to sit down and talk, and most of us can do that. Uh, So if you've got any questions, uh, check them out, www.popuppodcasting.ca. My name is Hartley Parent. Joining me as always, Kyle Turk and our guest, Scott Whitaker from Fight for the Cure. Thank you for listening.